0: All right, guys, it is 12.30, so we are gonna get started. Our jazz ambiance has been cut off. (laughs) The video does not have a soundtrack, except for my soothing melodic voice. Uh, If you're here for the first time, welcome. We do this every week. We love having people come visit. We would love to see all of these tables full, and even into the overflow. Um, If you appreciate the free meal, I mean, where else can you get steak for lunch? Very delicious. The tips—they go straight to the kitchen. I don't see any of that. So uh, I just tell people: tip what you think is worth. Tip what you're able. You know, if you have a lot of money and you have a good job, tip well. <laughs> if you live on a little bit and you're scraping by, throw your two mites in there. Uh, you know, just if everybody did that, everybody would be taken care of. So give as God has given to you be the general rule because that's the rule that we've been looking at in the old testament in uh when we were studying all through torah but we're not in torah anymore we're in joshua and we are halfway through the book of joshua literally we are at this joshua is just like a a a diptych which is you know two panel work so the first part is the battle accounts the second part are the land grant accounts and that's where we're in now we're in the land grant accounts the battles took a couple of chapters to uh, recount but they took years to fight they took years to to engage in and so remember that when you're reading scripture you're just a lot of times you're getting the highlights it's not like things were happening at the speed that people think they happen at uh, when you read it all at once this is over years and years and we start in chapter 13 we're going to try to cover 13 and 14 today because they read together well but in chapter 13 after chapter 12 was a list of all of the kings, all of the Canaanites who God had told Israel to drive out and to conquer. And this list of these mighty nation-state big men, these, these these mafia dons, the Canaanite thugs, however you want to think of them, the, the men who ran the show in these little city-states that they were over, went out in, against Israel, and Israel defeated all of them, this, this rabble of slaves. They've come out of Egypt, a mixed multitude, Jew and Gentile together. That's important. And throughout the book of Joshua, we've seen that Israel is not just Jews. They are Gentiles included into as well. Because it's covenant that determines your identity, not bloodline or DNA. And so we're going to see that in this section as we get to it. But chapter 13 begins, after all those battles, chapter 13 begins... When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, you're very old. (laughs) God knows all. You're very old. Yet there's still very large areas of land to be taken over. Now, what is this? This is a discrepancy, right? We just read 12 chapters of Joshua taking the land. No, we read 12 chapters of military victory over people who controlled the land. That's different than moving into and taking the land. First, the, 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 it's like a field. You know, you got to plow up the rocks before you can plant the seed. So the Canaanite kings and the city-state rulers and the armies were the rocks. They're done. Now Israel has to go in. And they have to do the job that they were called to do, which is inhabit the land, take over the cities, live in those places, because that was God's judgment on those Canaanite peoples. One time event in history never again to be repeated. And it was to get Israel into the land so that Israel could then live wholly in the land, Leviticus 18 and 19. And if Israel didn't live holy in the land, Israel would become Canaanites, and they would be driven Land is always God's. I'm having a discussion right now with a, a Jewish friend in Israel. We don't see eye to eye. Uh, love him, great guy. But um, what I have to keep in mind when I talk to him is it's not your land. It's God's land. It's always been God's land. At best, even faithful Israel were just tenants of God's land. Much less secular, you know, today Israel. So we have to keep that in mind. The land belongs to God. From beginning to end. And when he gives it, he gives it to people to be tenants. He'll talk about it. Jesus will talk about it in his parables. Look how many parables he has about tenants farming the land. So Israel is, is, but Israel has to take the land. They have to go into the land. They have to become the tenants of the land. So the armies have been destroyed. The battles have been won. But there's land to be lived into. They're in between. Again, the analogy. Think of D-Day. Think of VE Day, World War II, D-Day, Hitler was effectively done. The Allies landed. Once they took that beach, everybody celebrated. Why? Because they knew it was only a matter of time. A lot of stuff had to happen between D-Day and VE Day. A lot of land had to be taken, a lot of villages, house by house, street by street, right? remnants to be driven out of the Nazi occupation. Well, it's the same kind of thing here. So that's the minds the, the dynamic to keep in mind in Joshua when we're reading these land grant accounts is Israel still has to go in and actually move into land. And so the Lord says, there are very large areas of land to be taken over. And then he gives this mandate. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites, that's the coastal land, from the Shehor River on the, uh, on the east of Egypt, the territory of Ekron on the north, all of it is counted as Canaanite, the territory of the five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, that of the Avites. And from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, from Ara of the Sidonians, as far as Aphek, the region of the Amorites, the area of the Gebelites, and all of the Lebanon, to the east, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo hamath This is just basically moved from a coastal south all the way up to the north this is god saying this is all the land now these names mean very little to us this that's how it's going to be for the rest of the joshua so just get used to it there's going to be names that mean nothing to you but they meant everything to the people in that area there was uh one of the commentators was saying he talked with somebody who's in the military who's battle engaged in war in another country and after battle soldiers and people that were involved in the campaigns to liberate areas every village has significance every street has a memory every valley has a has a memory associated with it and so it's crucially important for people that are involved in those for us you know people start talking about places in afghanistan vietnam you know occupied germany france whatever Whichever war, Pickle war, it doesn't matter. And for those of us that weren't involved in it, those names don't mean anything, right? I don't know. I mean, unless they're associated with something terrible, like my lie or something, you know, that, that means something that is bad or wounded knee. But for the people that are in, that were there, it has meaning and it has significance. And that's something to keep in mind. Put yourself back into the mindset of ancient Israel when we're reading through this and you're tempted to just glaze over and skip to the quote, the good parts because you're reading about places where Israel is going to have to take, and they're going to have to settle, and it's going to become, they are going to become stewards of this land that belongs to God, all in fulfillment of a 400 year old promise that he made to Abraham. He goes on to say, verse six, as for the inhabitants of the mountain regions, from Lebanon to Misra that is all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites, be sure to allocate this land to Israel for the inheritance as I have instructed you and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So God's saying there's more up north, the Sidonians, that area. I'm going to take care of them. Joshua, you're old. You're about that? I'm going to take care of them. Just be sure to instruct Israel to divide up that land because the promise that I've given you is bigger than even what you realize right now. Even after these great victories, there's still more, but it's going to involve a longer time frame than you. We've seen that all through scripture. God's timeline and our timelines are not even close to being on the same length. So he gives them this reassurance. Then he's mentioned these, what's up with nine and a half tribes? Well, think back to our study of numbers. If you were here two years ago, two and a half tribes, because Manasseh was a big tribe, so it was put in two two-and-a-half tribes on the east of the Jordan River. They said, hey, we like it here. We want to stay after Israel defeated. And so they did. And this happens around Numbers chapter 41. And that's the account of this. So first, Moses divvied up that land for those two-and-a-half tribes, but said, but your warriors have to go and fight and bring the other nine-and-a-half tribes into their inheritance. Then you can go back to be with your little ones and your wives and your brothers and your livestock and that's what this records before getting into the land allotment in the actual Canaan that he's going to recount the land allotment in the, or in the Transjordan area. Verse 8, the other half of Manasseh the Reubenites and the Gadites had received the inheritance that Moses had given them east of the Jordan as he the servant of the Lord had assigned to them. This is back in Numbers. It extended from Aurora on the rim of the Arnon Gorge and from the town in the middle of the gorge, and included the whole plateau of Madaba as far as Dibon, and all the towns of Sion, king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, out to the border of the Ammonites. This is today modern Jordan. You can actually go to Madaba. is a really cool city. I was there last year. And they have like this amazing mural, uh, not a mural, a mosaic, uh, of the whole Holy Land that dates back to 4th century, I believe, or 5th century. It's incredible. And uh, it's where Mount Nebo is, where Moses died, and all this, it's recounting all this area. Um, it also included Gilead, the territory of the people of Gesher and Ma'aka, all of Mount Hermon, and all of Bashan. That is as far as Seleka, And that is the whole kingdom of Og in Bashan, who had reigned in Ashtoreth, uh, yeah, in Ashtoreth, and Edri, and had survived as one of the last of the Rephites. Moses had defeated them, and taken over their land. So this is recounting what Moses had done. This entire, if you remember back to Numbers, King Og was no pushover. Og of Bashan was a mighty king who ruled a huge territory of land. And Israel, as they came up through under Moses' leadership, knocked them out and destroyed them. And so that's a major, major battle. And Og was one of the Rephites. And Rephites, we don't know. Some people will link them with Anakites and say that they were physical giants. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. Uh, in the ancient world, anything over six five is giant. I mean, would would literally be considered giant. Goliath was around six foot nine or so, uh, four cubits in a span, and that's a whole other issue because most English Bible is read nine foot nine. But we'll get into that maybe on another lesson. But anything anything above six foot six five six six that's giant in biblical terms, I'm and a giant. I'm you're almost a giant. giant. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the point is that Rephaim, Could have been referring to giants, but it it means, as we studied way back, if you remember way back, I think it was during uh, our number study, that it had the meaning of like shades or ghosts or boogeyman, and that's the way, kind of the best way to think of it is boogeyman is is the powerful, the strong, the ones you don't want to mess with, and that's what King Og was, the last of the Rephaim, the mighty, the the fearsome, the don't mess with them, and Israel went in and wiped them out at Moses' leadership. And so that's what this is recounting. But, verse 13, and here's another one of those clues that in the Bible, all doesn't always mean all. Because if you remember back in Numbers 21, when these battles happened, it said they wiped them all out. But, verse 13, the Israelites did not drive out the people of Gesher and Ma'akah, so they continued to live among the Israelites to this day. Yet another. Example. Now, whether this is good or bad, the narrator doesn't say. Whether they had mercy or whether they just didn't drive them out, the narrator doesn't say. It leaves it ambiguous. But this is a key in Joshua, and it's going to come up in Judges. That all doesn't always mean all. And when we read it in Joshua, they're wiping out all that breathes. Remember, all breath. No, even this is God saying that some were left. So we have to understand that, that the battle accounts are stylized and they're hyperbole and they're exaggerated. Like. The Panthers destroyed the Falcons, right? (laughs) I don't know if that actually happened or not. I don't follow. You guys can tell me. Uh, But when we say one team destroyed another team, that's what we mean. We just beat them badly. They won. And that's what it's getting across in Joshua. Israel militarily won. But they didn't completely live into that victory that God won for them. And that's going to plague them for hundreds of years in the book of Judges. But let's move on. So that was one to to the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance since the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he promised him. Repeat that again, that's important. This is what Moses gave to the tribe of Reuben, clan by clan, the territory from Aurora to the rim of the Arnon Gorge and from the town in the middle of the gorge and the whole plateau past Madaba to Heshbon and all its towns on the plateau, including Divon. Beth Bethbaal, Meon, Yahaz, Kedamoth, Mepaath, Kiriathayim, Sibmah, Zerath, Shahar on the hill in the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Yeshamosh, on all the towns on the plateau and the entire realm of Sihon, king of the Amorites who ruled at Heshbon. Moses had defeated him in the Midianite clans, Evi, Recham, Zur, and Reba, princes allied with Sihon who lived in that country. In addition to those slain in battle the Israelites had to put to the, had put to the sword Balaam son of Beor who practiced divination. This is back to the Balaam saga. The his name was Balaam. If you remember Balaam was the one who led Israel gave the greatest prophecy in the history of Israel. <coughs> and then was the one who went and said now to Israel's enemies hey if you want to get you want to beat them it's never going to happen by force. Here's how you beat them. Get them to disobey the covenant. Because if they break the covenant, then that breaks God's protection.
1: As long as they're in covenant,
0: you can't touch them. And that's what Balaam did. He got them to break the covenant. He, that whole section you can read back in Numbers. We went over it before. But this is this lets us know what happened to him. In these battles in that area, as Israel was finishing, Balaam didn't get away. He actually died by the sword. A pagan prophet who gave a true word from God, but whose heart turned against Israel for money, for gain, for whatever reason, and ultimately was put to death with the Canaanites. Um, so this is the inheritance that was given to Reuben. The boundary of the Reubenites was the bank of the Jordan. These towns and their villages were inheritance of the Reubenites clan by clan. This is what Moses had given to the tribe of Gad, clan by clan. The territory of Yazar, all the towns of Gilead, and half of the Ammonite country, as far as Aurora, near Rabah. Only half, the Ammonites were a big people. <laughs> Half of their region is what was given to Gath. The others in the south they would remain, and they were to continue to remain as enemies of Israel, on through the judges and all the way up to First Samuel, and all the way I think in Second Kings is their final defeat. But the Ammonites were Israel's neighbors to the south, east, uh, and modern-day Jordan, getting down towards Saudi Arabia,
1: and they were the ones who
0: worshiped Moloch, uh, Moloch of the Ammonites, one of the gods that. Uh, to involve child sacrifice. And so when you read about the Ammonites, that's who you're reading about. But Israel, the tribe of Gad, was on their border and given half of their territory. In the valley of Beth-Haram, beth nimrah Sukkoth, and Zaphon, and with the rest of the realm of Sion, king of Heshbon, the east side of the Jordan, the territory up to the Sea of kinneret that's the Sea of Galilee. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of the Gadites, clan by clan. And lastly, this is what Moses had given the half-tribe of Manasseh, that is, to half the family of the, the, the descendants of Manasseh, clan by clan, the territory extending from Mahniah and including all of Bashan, the entire realm of Og, king of Bashan, all the settlements of Yair in Bashan, 60 towns, half of Gilead and Ashtaroth and Edri, the royal cities of Og and Bashan. This was for the descendants of Machir, son of Manasseh, for the half-tribe for half of the sons of Mikeir, clan by clan. This is the inheritance Moses had given when he was in the plains of Moab across the Jordan, east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, as he has promised. A previous section said, right up in verse 14, since the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance, as he promise. Now it says the Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. There is an intimate linking between the offerings given to God and God. And that's a sobering thought for those of us that are a little free in our giving, or a little stingy rather, in our giving, free in our not giving. But God had instilled, God had said Levi, you are going to serve me and you will be provided for by my people being faithful with what I provide them to give to you a portion of that. So not a double portion, not a name and claim it, not a private jet, not a $50,000 suit and watch, none of that nonsense. But a legit, you don't get land, so you're going to be provided for by the other tribes who do have That's built in, that's not a New Testament concept, but Paul will, as we've seen, harp on this. He'll mention this specifically when he makes his argument about not muzzling ox while it treads the grain. And he'll say, Hey, your teachers and preachers, don't you know those who serve in the temple receive their living from the temple? So I'm going to pass this around now. (laughs) (laughs) As a son of a preacher, I know the inner Workings of churches and giving and evangelicalism, and uh, we would do well to focus a little more on the spirit of this in our churches. Average giving is 3%, I believe. So we're well below God's Old Testament minimum, which is crazy because Jesus raised everything in the uh, towards generosity. That's another sermon and another issue of theology to discuss. But we have a few minutes left, and so what's going to happen now? He's recounted, okay, the tribes east of the Jordan have already received their inheritance. And let me just tell you, let me remind you, because this is Joshua reminding Israel. This happened when Moses was still alive. They've received their inheritance, and this is what it is. Remember, this is land grant. This is spelling out the borders and the boundaries. But it's also their history. Hey, these mighty kings, Sihon, Og, yeah, they're no longer around. That in and of itself is a testimony to God's miraculous ability to, because Israel was no army. We have to remember, Israel was no army. They were a group of slaves. They, they didn't have weapons. They didn't have chariots. They didn't have horses. They may have had pruning hooks and knives and whatever they could make, but they lived in the wilderness for 40 years, so it wasn't like they were forging any kind of technology. You know, Israel, Think when, when you think of Israel fighting men, think of men armed with sticks. And spears and arrows, and, and the occasional knife or sword that they could barter or trade from passing Midianites or something like that. I mean, this is the miracle, and they've destroyed the Transjordan empires of Og and Bashan, or uh, Og and Sihon, rather. <clears throat> so now he's going to get to, Joshua is going to get to, God through Joshua, the div- divvying up of the land of Canaan itself, Canaan proper, to the other nine and a half tribes. Before he does that, as is typical in the book of Joshua, which you should be ready for by now, there's an account of a Gentile who's faithful. We've seen it multiple times already in the book of Joshua. Before it gets into the pro-Israel stuff, there's a reminder right up front of a faithful Gentile. We're going to read about him in chapter 14. Now, these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan which Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to this. Their inheritances were assigned by lot, that's by casting of the dice or drawing of the straws, or there's different understandings of how lots actually worked. Uh, there were different ways of casting lots, but the point is it's like rolling dice or flipping coin. It's randomized so that God and God alone is the one who controls the outcome, not nepotism size of the tribe, favoritism, who earned a better piece of land, any of that stuff. It's done by Lot. So these were the divisions that God himself uh, was going to put the people in the land in. Inheritance were signed by Lot to the nine and a half tribes as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For the sons of Joseph have become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in, with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord commanded Moses. Break. Interlude. Before that starts to happen, and that's going to start happening happen in chapter 15, it's going to start with Judah. Before that dividing up the land, and it gives you the note about the Manasseh being split into two tribes, and the Levites not getting land, and all that explains that everything is still kept at twelve. Even though the Levites don't get land, there's still 12 tribal allotments because one tribe became two. That's the purpose of that. But there's an interlude, verse 6. It's my favorite part. I was so excited to read this today. This is the first of five land-grant narratives in the rest of the book. The rest of the book of Joshua is lists and and geographical surveys. But there are five land-grant narratives interspersed. The land-grant narrative is when someone comes, Presents a request. The reason for the request is given. The request is granted, and then they are given the land. There's five of them. This is the first of five. <clears throat> now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Remember, Caleb, not an Israelite. He's in the tribe of Judah, but he's a Kenizzite. He's from the tribe. from from the sons of Kenaz. Part of that mixed multitude that was brought into, that came out of Egypt with Israel. 50% of the people that left Israel as adults and entered into Egypt, I mean entered into Canaan, were Gentile. Because there were only two of them, Joshua and Caleb. And now the two of them, the two faithful, are about to have a talk. Caleb, son of of the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? This is two old men talking to Sitting around the cracker barrel, discussing the old days. Moses, Joshua's, uh, Caleb's about 90, 95 of this, or 80, 85. 70. They're in their 80s or 90s. Not exactly sure. But you know, you remember, verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. This is Numbers 13 and 14. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. He's telling this to the only other person among that group who followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Caleb and Joshua were the only two that came back and said, let's take this land. So Caleb is reminding Joshua. Caleb has had to wait 40 years for what was promised to now come about. For 40 years, he's waited. He could have left the Israelites. When God said, you're doomed to 40 years wandering in the wilderness, Caleb could have said, I'm out. I followed you. God, take me to the land. God might have done it. But for 40 years, he waited, this Gentile among the Israelites. So he keeps going. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved around in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm not going to ask if anybody in here is 85, but some of you in here are kind of getting close to that. Um, Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out in battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, giants, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. There were still pockets of mighty resistance to be driven out. 85 year old Caleb steps up and says, It's, it's like the, you remember Braveheart, the, the William Wallace's buddy. His dad, the old man that was just like, ah, swinging an axe. That's Caleb. Caleb's just like raring to go. There's still Anakites there. There's still giants, whether literal or metaphorical or just in reputation. Caleb asks for the hardest spot, the hill country. It's hard to fight in hill country, and it is hilly. Don't think of flat pasture lands. Where he's talking about is desert, rock, hill after hill, valley after valley. It's hard to move an army through there. It's hard to move anything through there. Today it's hard to move through there. And that's what he asks for. He asks for the hardest job of this remaining resistance pocket. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. For Sarah and Abraham. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kinezite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was greatest among the Anakites. Wink, wink. Kiriath, this place used to be called Village of Arba, Village of this big guy. Now it's called Hebron. Why? Because it doesn't belong to Arba anymore. It doesn't belong to Anakites anymore. Why? Caleb took it. Caleb led his clan and took Hebron. And it became, Hebron's going to become an important city. It's going to be, I believe, where David, or Saul is anointed, or David sets a base, or I can't remember off the top of my head. Hebron's going to be a major point in Israel's history. But it's all because Caleb, there was one last resistance of military might. There was one last pocket, and it was the toughest region. Caleb, the old man, 85 years old, said, Send me. I'm ready. Nothing's changed since God sent him to spy the land 40 years ago. It's an. I love Caleb. And his name means dog. Gentile. Caleb is the Hebrew word for Gentile. Dog. That's what we... And then the land had rest from war. The last battle recounted in Joshua. The last military victory was by gentile dog. 85 year old gentile dog goes and finishes the campaign. In I love that. I just think that's brilliant in how the narrator puts it together. But next is going to be the allotment of the tribes. Now, let me give you a few warnings because we we'll are probably go two chapters at a time in the coming weeks if we're able. One, there's a lot of Hebrew names. Don't let your eyes glaze over.
1: If you want to read the Hebrew names,
0: Very easy. There's a video, Disciple Dojo, on YouTube. Just youtube.com slash Disciple Dojo. There's a video. It's also on facebook.com slash Disciple Dojo called How to Pronounce Old Testament Names. And I sit there, and it's about 10 minutes, I think. I can't remember, 15 minutes. And I give you, there's like three rules to remember. You just remember three rules. You can read and pronounce every Old Testament name. The main one is pronounce every vowel. Pronounce every vowel. So if there are two A's next to each other, pronounce both of them, ah, ah-ah, all right? There's E-A-A-ah, right? Just pronounce every vowel. There's no consonant clusters. There's no ch-ch sound. So when you see a ch, k it's a ch sound. Uh, There's a few other rules, but they're super easy. However, we're going to be reading a lot of names in a lot of places. Your eyes are going to glaze over. Here's the thing. How many of you have been to the reading of a will? Somebody dies and really There's a lot of stuff in the will that you're just like, oh, get yeah. on with it. Right? When do you perk up? <laughs> when your when name you're mentioned. When your name is called. Yeah. Yeah. Put yourself in Israel's place. Tribe by tribe. Imagine when you're reading Judah. Imagine what the Judahites are thinking. Imagine what the clans are thinking. Mad, because that's the importance that this had for them. This is this is the realization of everything that we've read going all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. God put it in Scripture for a reason, so we aren't going to skip it. But we're out of time. If you want seconds, you know, maybe it's a good thing in the back. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody.